everyone, and welcome to episode 229 in Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, uh, joined as always by Paul, and in lovely Florida, Ryan, sitting out on a porch, enjoying the nice evening weather. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Just got back from Florida, actually, yesterday. So we uh, passed, ships passing in the night. Yeah, we just got here, and I know uh, uh, another longtime contributor here to the podcast is also in Florida, just like 40 miles down the road right now, too. So apparently everybody goes to Florida over spring break, which uh, we found out caused huh. some uh, some travel headaches on Saturday into Sunday. Sure did. So, got here a day late, but made it, and everything was good, so no complaints. Thank you, Paul, for setting me up. <laughs> no prob. Anytime. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. not anytime, actually. Not anytime. <laughs> <laughs> off, off, maybe not spring break. Off peak forward. time next time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Paul, you were traveling, so you you were fortunate enough to to miss the Badgers game on Sunday night. I, I so. did not see that. Yes, I heard it was terrible, and have not watched it, and have no plans to. Yeah, no, don't bother. Uh, so a- a- Andy horrible. sent me their three point percentage, and that really was all I really needed to know. They yep. were they were nine nine yep. percent from three. That's uh, that's me nine. shooting from yeah, half that's, court. So that's yuck. bad. That's very yeah. bad. I think they also had more turnovers than field goals made if I remember correctly. So that's also not great. So uh, yeah, not a, not a great end to the Davison Davis era probably. So we'll, we'll see how bad they are next year. I think that's why it stings so bad too, because they're, they're not looking too good next year uh, if Johnny doesn't come back, but Hey, we're here to talk about happier things. Baseball is being played. I don't know if you guys have caught any of the spring games yet, but uh, just nice to kind of have some of that on. I actually, I think, turned on the first game on Friday in the middle of March Madness just to watch some baseball. I don't know if you guys have watched any of the spring games yet. So I didn't watch any, but I did turn on uh, on Saturday afternoon. The radio broadcast a little bit and heard Grindle and I, I'm sorry, I don't even know what the new guy's name is yet. <laughs> we should probably learn Grindle and the new guy. <laughs> and I will say the new guy does not sound exactly like Levering and Grindle which is great because now you can tell the voices apart and you don't have that weird feeling like you're listening to somebody have a conversation with themselves. And that is no knock on them. This is nothing. Oh, to do they're with great. It's not it's their just, fault. It's they just sound, sim- sound, sound similar for sure. <laughs> yeah. Their voice patterns are eerily similar. So yeah, it, it, it is what it is, but uh, the new guy does not sound like that. So uh, they were talking about music and things. This was during the game. The Brewers won 11, nothing. So they were already well in when I turned it on, they were already well into like, so what's your favorite kind of music? Like <laughs> that kind of discussion. So you got to have those icebreakers with the new guy, right? So there you exactly. go. Got to have that feeling out process and, you know, short and spring training, you kind of have to accelerate into some of that spring training material early. So I, I dig it. That's, that's great. So, uh, all right. Uh, we do have some, like I said, games to talk about, but also a pretty major significant addition since the last time we spoke, uh, Brewers actually made a free agent signing, filled that DH spot. So lots of questions about the acquisition of Andrew McCutcheon. We will get to those momentarily, but first a reminder before we get started, you can get question priority and ask about things like Andrew McCutcheon if you become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority, both on this podcast as well as Paul's reporting as eligible Packers podcast. And Paul, I Bet you thought you were done for a while, and yeah. then the Packers went and traded Devante. <laughs> yep, sure did. I, I think we'll have one this week, depending on availability of the guys. Uh, I'm uh, 
it's it's very spring breaky right now, so it's all touch and go. But yes, we will talk about Devonte at some point for sure. It was very surprising. The Packers yep. are now in a complete bind at wide receiver, where their current receiver room just just sucks. It's just horrible. So a lot has to happen between now and the start of the season, and uh, at least they got some money to play with. I suppose could be worse. Could be worse. Bad go draft though. Very Tyler bad draft. Lockett and you're fine. But he's yeah. Uh, so Tyler Lockett actually already started this process. He's not oh. really tradable. Um, his salary uh, cap, it would be punitive at the moment. It would be maybe doable after June 1st, but still a little tricky. Um, I, I'm not sure. Seattle's dumb, so it's worth pursuing, but it's going to cost you. Like It's going to be an expensive pickup. Although Tyler Lockett's awesome, so that's okay too. Yeah. Well, uh, we will stay tuned for post-Devante news and pre-draft news and all that stuff uh, as as the situation continue, continues to develop. And in the meantime, uh, five bucks, that $5 a month level at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate gets you some extra content. Any reporting as eligible mini pods that may pop up along the way, as well as the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. Uh, definitely a lot of interest in the prospects now that we're picking up again here. And uh, maybe some of you have done your fantasy drafts already or, or are looking ahead to some of those. So you'll want to stay tuned for some of that prospect talk as well. Uh, but we mentioned it first, right off the top here, Andrew McCutcheon, now a Milwaukee Brewer, which is something that seems really weird to say if you were, you know, talking to yourselves back in 2015 or so, right? <laughs> <laughs> not, not something you would ever see happening, but uh, the Brewers went out and decided he'd probably be the primary fill-in at DH and, you know, can rotate into the corner outfield spots as well. Kind of uh, expected with the way the Brewers have shuffled their outfield lineup you know, throughout the last few years. So I guess, first of all, first impressions, uh, Paul, you like the signing. What do you think of it? Um, I'm not going to say I called it, but in, uh, in reference to previous podcasts, he was one of my, who might the, the brewers go after and, uh, who would be fun. Um, and I don't think I, I necessarily said it was going to happen, but, uh, a very brewer type signing. And it is fun. I, Andrew McCutcheon is fun to have on your team. He is by all accounts, a great clubhouse guy. And I guess most importantly from their perspective, he just still mashes left-handed pitching. He basically always has a 900 OPS against uh, left-handed pitching, even at his in his uh, old age. And um, he should slide right into the the new National League with the DH slot now available. Um, you know, be able to spell in the corners once in a while and. Um, it's it, that's a good signing. It's a very good economical uh, and still useful signing for a manager who loves to play matchups. Yeah, uh, he, he definitely does have limitations, and I'm a little worried about the talk that I'm hearing early on here that he is going to play most days because his numbers last year against uh, right-handed pitching were really pretty suboptimal. I mean, really not anything you'd want. He uh, hit put up a uh, 293, 405, 622 line against lefties, which is obviously insanely good uh, over a 100 or sorry, over a 1000 OPS, but uh, a 650 OPS, a 186, 298, 352 line against righties. Now there is still patience there. Obviously he was still walking at a pretty good rate and a little bit of pop. I mean, he, he was able to hit 12 home runs in 318 at bats against uh you know the the strong side of the platoon but compare that with the 15 home runs he hit in uh really about half the plate appearances 
against lefties. And I mean, you really do start to see that he's just not nearly the same hitter that he is against righties. And so I would like to see them. And I, I trust that as the season wears on, if this continues to be the case, council will start to push to get him less and less playing time against right-handers. But I think that's it's more of a minor quibble, and it's a thing for kind of down the road. They are trying to fix what was a very uh, lackadaisical offense against left-handed pitching last year. And to that end, they brought in Hunter Renfro and, you know, and now Andrew McCutcheon. And they've really looked to shore up that side of things. So we'll, we'll just have to see how that all kind of plays out. But, uh, you know, all things considered, I think for $8.5 million, and there's no such thing as a, one, a bad one-year deal, which is what he's on. Yep. Uh, I think it all just kind of works out. And it's sort of what you would expect from them uh, in this vein. Maybe not as exciting as what people wanted, but I think a very solid guy. And I do think it really does matter. They they do prize very much bringing in good clubhouse guys. Mm-hmm. And that is Andrew McCutcheon. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he's just somebody that I think Brewers fans maybe have watched from afar for a while. And even though he was killing the Brewers for years there with the Pirates, he just seemed like a really cool guy to to have around and talk to. Just one of the really like more genuinely good people around, too. And um, I don't know if you guys saw the clip from one of the first days of spring training where he, he switched numbers, right? He, uh, I think he came in with what number five or something. And then he switched to number 24 and it's because Ken Griffey jr. Was his childhood idol, uh, similar to me as well. And he actually has become really good friends with Ken Griffey jr. And they actually had the video of him calling jr. Up and and talking about it. And that was kind of cool too. And he's just a genuinely nice person to have in the dugout. I think you guys are right. Like he's that, even if he doesn't play, down the stretch he's gonna be a good like clubhouse clue guy right so definitely good absolutely to have yep all right we have a lot of andrew mccutcheon questions coming from our patrons as as we mentioned before the first one comes from mark Podscarby. he's asking it seems clear with the signing of mccutcheon plus acquisitions of renfro severino and rousseau that the brewers really wanted to improve their offense against lefties but are we too one-sided now? It seems unless Yelich bounces back, we don't have any righty mashers like we do lefty mashers. So, Ryan, your thoughts on that? Are, are the Brewers too, uh, I guess, right-handed hitter heavy, lefty masher heavy now? I Maybe somewhat. I still think that we're a bit underrating the uh, the fact that they do have some, some who bring left-handed power to the plate, especially Yelich if he gets back to hitting anything like he did uh, pre-2021. That's a pretty significant lefty power bat in there. Uh, You have Roddy Tellez, who is coming into his own, came into his own last year. You're still not totally comfortable with that, but you have some positive thoughts about that. And then also just Colton Wong, who's going to bring you solid uh, power for a second baseman from the left-hand side. And then Omar Narvaez, who's also going to bring you solid power from the left-hand side for the catcher position. So maybe not in an absolute sense, like you would want a big time lefty power bat in the center of your lineup. And if it's not Yelich, it's probably not going to be anybody else, but I think they can kind of cobble things together just sort of in general and from balance, which is something I pointed out this week on Twitter. If you kind of look at where they are in general, you have a, a really balanced offense with Yelich up at uh, op- or sorry a WRC plus projected by Steamer of uh, 
120. Tellez is at 112. Urias at 108. Kutch is at 108. Renfro 106. Adamas 105. And I think that's pretty underrating what Adamas can bring. Uh, Wong at 100. Kane at 98. Narvaez at 95. Taylor at 95. Peterson at 93. And Hura at 91. So that is 12 guys who are within 9% of the projected league average for offense. And so what they really should be able to do is run out a lineup that doesn't have a whole lot of holes in it. And if you can do that, it it gets you quite a bit of the ways to where you want to go. And then if holes do develop, if you do see opportunities to really improve that somewhere, you can uh, – you could strike at the deadline or even before the deadline, like we've you know, talked about before. So yeah. I think that there's lots of options there. Yeah. The one thing that's a consistent across baseball is that you can usually find um, hefty left-handed bats to balance out your lineup with uh, with some ease. That's how they end up with Vogelbach, and that's how they end up with um, Rowdy. And, you know, those guys are out there if you need to go for extra balance later. Um, it's just not that big of a problem. It's much better to be what they are now. And Ryan's right. Um, if they get, not even really breaks, but if they get just average performance from that side of the lineup, they'll be fine balance-wise. I mean, it's never going to be a perfect balance. Somebody's always going to be a little bit better. Um, but they're really well put together um, in terms of their platoon splits. Absolutely. I think the next question then is something that we've all kind of already thought about a little bit, but Adam Post is asking the question, what's the over-under for games that Kutch plays at a position other than DH this season? So we know, you know, he's going to sprinkle in some left field, some right field, but Paul, I guess, what what's your number on games he DHs as opposed to playing in the field? Um, I think he, he probably won't DH as much as people think. Maybe I don't know what people think, actually, but I don't. I think that DH spot is going to be well used by a lot of the team and that they really won't have an everyday DH in any sense. So uh, I think it's going to be a very small number. Like I bet it's like 30 games that he DHs, something like that. Uh, I think he'll do a good amount of time in the field. Um, he'll have his days off too, for sure. He's he's an older guy, but I think he's going to play a lot. I think he'll see time in the outfield, in the corners, and a smattering at first base, just a guess, don't know for sure, um, with some DH mixed in. But they're not going to designate any one player, even even two. Like, they're not even going to have like a platoon-platoon at DH. Like It's going to be a rotation of guys to keep guys healthy and fresh, and McCutcheon's just not going to play that much there. I think 30 is kind of the upper limit of what he's going to do. Yeah, I, I think that somewhere around half of his games played will probably be at DH. Now, if he plays 120 games, that would make it about 60 games. So I, I could see it, something being in that vein, but then you're looking at a hundred games for everybody else to, to DH. So I think that still leaves it plenty flexible for other people to move around and, and all that. So I do, if I had to bet, I would say that he takes more at bats as a DH than any one other player this year. Like I would take him as the the leader on the team, but I doubt that he, I doubt that he even gets to half of the team's games in that role. Half of his games I could see, but not even half the team's games. Yeah. Who do you think DH is more, Kutch or Yelich? <laughs> oh, I, I think Kutch by far. I agree. Really? I think it'll be Kutch as well. Um, I, I think Yelich is in that space where. Um, as long as he's, he might be atrocious, but as long as he's not atrocious, he's, he's like the team's left fielder. Like that's just his spot. So, 
Um, they'll they'll give him rest there, but his primary position is going to be in the outfield if he can be out there at all. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I'm just trying to figure out where those other you know hundred games like Ryan was talking about is going to come from. I could see some Yelich maybe if. Hira hits enough to stay on the roster, but it's still atrocious at first base. Maybe that's the play then too. I don't know, but I think think, you're right. I think we see a lot of Hira or Tellez or perhaps both of them in that role, depending on, you know, what's going on with the the team roster that day. And it's also going to depend on the health of people like Renfro and Yelich, because if Yelich or Renfro miss significant amount of time, that's going to push Kutch more into an everyday outfielder role and that opens up more time at dh so there there's all kinds of different ways that this can go and one thing that we know about greg council is he's not afraid to mix and match and just go with uh what uh what seems right uh, on a day-to-day basis as opposed to trying to put in some sort of hard and firm plan that everybody can feel like oh they're running out the same lineup four times in a week that's never going to happen with Craig Council so just <laughs> accept that at this point that that's not how this is going to go and it's not how it should go yep yeah absolutely all right next patreon question comes from PJ Wessels uh speaking of you know Kutch longtime rival joining the team he says McCutcheon joined the Brewers Rizzo and Bryant signed elsewhere not sure there is an ex-cardinal I'd want plus the Brewers already have uh, Wong, what would it take to get Votto out of Cincinnati? And is that even a good move? <laughs> well, I guess, Paul, that the Reds aren't trying and they're trading everything that's not bolted down. Yeah, no, nothing is sacred take. these days. I mean, the Brennemans spent so much time burning down Joey that um, <laughs> who knows? Um, but uh, I mean, uh, if uh, here's the situation, here's how you could get Joey Votto plausible. This won't happen, by the way. Here's how you could do it, though. The Reds are rebuilding um, and they're not going to be they're probably not going to be good for a while. And sometimes when that happens, you send your star off to a team where that's competing for a championship to try and get him a championship. So, I mean, that's a plausible thing that could happen with Votto. He's not going to be good on the next Reds team that contends. So, yeah, there, there, there you go. Either that or a Brenneman becomes GM. Either way, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest thing standing in the way to this is... Well, besides Joey Votto's no trade contract con- or clause in his contract, right? We, where we don't know what, if any, interest he would have in even waiving it at all, much less to come to Milwaukee specifically. Yeah. There's also just the fact that he's in the division, and I really don't think right now. Um, uh, we have been told by Eznark that uh, there are quite a few people that are posting the sell the team Bob, referring to Bob Castellini. <laughs> yes, yes, that's owner. true. They are. Yeah, and so I don't think they want to trade uh, Joey Votto, especially in what would be viewed as a cost-cutting move, because that's basically what it would be. They would be getting rid of Votto and his $25 million. By the way, he's owed $25 million a year the next two years, plus there's a big uh, option year for 2024. So they would be getting rid of most of that salary, if not all of that salary, and not necessarily getting much in the way of prospects back. And they'd be selling him to a team in the division where Joey Votto is going to come in to their place over the next two years, what, four or five series, and potentially just murder them and make them hate life and make them hate Bob Castellini even more than they already do. So from that perspective, I just think it's a total non-starter. And I also just don't think the Brewers would be that excited to (laughs) 
put 25 million on the books for the next two years yeah for joey vado there's that too <laughs> it's uh... i mean vado vado had a very interesting year last year i think it's worth mentioning that like he really changed his approach last year and said okay i'm gonna sacrifice some of my uh my patience and my on base percentage which is legendarily good right that's the reason he'll ultimately end up in the hall of fame one day is because he has legendary patience but he sacrificed quite a bit of that last year so that he could get an access power. And he popped 36 home runs last year. I don't know if you realize that, but mm-hmm. he yeah. really sort of reshaped his game. Yeah, he was awesome last year. He had, he, was, he had a 938 OPS. He was fantastic. Yeah, and I would really like to see that in the Brewers lineup. That would be awesome. But for the reasons we already talked about, I just... It, it sort of boggles the mind that it could possibly happen. I just... I cannot see... Bob Castellini approving of such a deal. He would much rather send yep. him over to the American League where he would never be seen or heard from again. Yep. And that's totally true. It, right. He's crazy. Like he's led the league in OBP seven times. And he once had a 459 OBP that he did not lead the league with to go along with that. So mm-hmm. um, he's just insane. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his black ink on his player page on baseball reference, uh, He's got the on-base percentage lead, like you said, seven times in his career. Uh, led the league at OPS twice, slugging once way back in 2010. Yep. Um, that it was his MVP year. Um, led the league in walks another, and this isn't surprising, another five times. <laughs> um, even led the league in doubles once. Like this is, and I don't know how many people necessarily think of Joey Votto as a Hall of Famer. Dude is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he absolutely and, is a Hall of Famer. And he especially. As he was kind of tailing off, it looked like, you know, 2019, 2020, he had sort of dropped down to being more of an average hitter where he had an OPS plus of 95 and then 107 in the, the shortened season in 2020. The 136, really, I think if if there's a uh, an icing on the cake for his Hall of Fame candidacy, this late career home run spree that he's going on is going to be that icing on the cake. And it does make you wonder if he had sacrificed just a little bit of that, of of that uh, on base percentage earlier in his career for power, what he could have done. And I feel bad about bringing that up because that's what the Brennemans (laughs) were always. Just like the Brennemans wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's what they were (laughs) always on about, right? Yeah. But it does make you wonder because I I think we always said, what doesn't work that way? You can't just like, uh, it's very hard for a leopard to change its spots, right? But apparently Joey Votto can because he's just a hitting savant. Yeah, probably the best Canadian player ever or up there with Larry Walker. Like, it's yeah, yeah, 1A, 1B maybe. Yeah, it's it's crazy what he's done. Um, also, speaking of the Bob Castellini thing, I don't know if you guys saw uh, what Nick Castellanos said today as he was introduced with the Phillies, but basically a local reporter uh, brought up that Philly's ownership said that they were willing to go over the luxury tax to get Nick Castellanos and asked what that meant to him. And he basically said, well, uh, the owner makes the team. And, you know, if you don't have an owner willing to spend and, and put a good product on the, he basically trashed Bob Castellini without bringing up his <laughs> name. And it was fantastic. So uh, there is that. All right. Uh, I guess one last question related to McCutcheon or just kind of tangentially and kind of related to this previous question too. But Joshua Moser is asking, do the Brewers really need greater additions with how weak the NL Central projects? So, you know, Kutch is 
pretty much the one big piece that they brought in uh, via free agency. They did have Brent Grove before the lockout started, but uh, you know, this is something that I think maybe puts the Brewers over the top, at least in my estimation. But I, I kind of said this on Twitter too, like the Brewers don't have to do anything. And that's sort of the problem with the expanded playoffs, right? Ryan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is really the, the heart of the idea right now. They are projected to be in, the uh the playoffs and just about anywhere you look i was i guess a little bit surprised to see that uh um they weren't even close to being projected to be uh one of the buys in the national league by zips they were like five wins behind the the second place team in the nl for the buy but uh, baseball prospectus has them firmly in that second spot yep. behind the Dodgers because you know the Dodgers are the Dodgers so I I guess that part of it I I don't think they really need to do a lot to be a playoff team the question is what do you want to do to be more than that and the answer to that is always well it's hard to know because you just don't know what you're going to be like going into the playoffs you can you could plan whatever you want. You can the best laid plans in these situations could go completely awry. The Brewers last year went and beefed up that lineup as much, if if not more than any other team in the league. And they got to September and both Willie Adamas and Eduardo Escobar had some injuries. And when they, they did make it back for the playoffs, they were not themselves. They were not hitting like they were before the injuries. And so the Brewers went into the playoffs with what was then without Adamus and, and Eduardo Escobar uh, helping to contribute and Christian Yelich in his struggles, they, they really had a toothless lineup down the stretch and there was no way to plan for that. There was no way to really to, to work around that. They, if the Braves had uh, had the same thing happen to them, given you know how they had to reshuffle their lineup at mid-year, uh, it wouldn't have been any more surprising. It you you just can't control for everything. So I think the 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 idea that they're waiting to see where they're at at the deadline, what holes might present themselves, and what opportunities to get better are out there, makes a lot of sense for a team in their position, even though it it kind of sucks. Yep. The short answer is they don't have to do anything, and um, it's hard to prepare to be a playoff team you really can't there's just so much luck involved and uh, you're not going to make your team better than the Dodgers in terms of just underlying talent level it's not going to happen so um, you, you can throw a few more resources at being as good as you can but fundamentally I mean they I mean you never know in baseball but they should win the division fairly easily and you can't do much better than that from where they're starting so is what it is that's that's kind of one of the complaints about the playoffs and we're seeing it already yeah i think you know we kind of felt this way before the dodgers even added freddie freeman to the death star right like that's yep uh, you're not gonna be able to really compete with that on a move-by-move -move basis right all you can really do is assemble the best you know overall team you can and then hope that you kind of get lucky in that five game series or whatever it is so uh yeah that I think they've done plenty to really, you know, put themselves in a good position in the division, especially considering how nobody else really seems to be trying. Although the Cubs seem to be getting like 
sneakily near that 500 mark. I think that's going to be something to watch yeah, too. Yeah. I, I could easily see them sneak into the playoffs. I mean, it's easy to forget that they added Marcus Stroman before the lockout. And then, uh, you know, they don't have the familiar faces, but I think they're going to be a decent team. But uh, well, what the Cubs are trying to do is they're trying to run a rebuild like the Brewers did in 2016, 2017. Yeah. with David Stearns, except they're trying to do it with much more money to work with. So I think they're probably going to be pretty successful at that. Uh, yes, Theo is gone, but Jed Hoyer was his top lieutenant for a very long time, uh, both in Boston and then with Chicago, and he knows what he's doing. He knows how to assemble a team, and I think the Cubs are going to be a pain in the ass a lot sooner than I think Brewer fans would like, a lot sooner than I would like, mm-hmm. for sure. But I don't know that it's this year. This year seems a bit of a stretch. They would really have to have a lot of things go right in a, not necessarily a a Giants 2021 way, because that's just unfathomable. Like, that's just doing stuff that nobody could have possibly foreseen, even them. But more in a Giants 2019 sort of way, where they were kind of, you know, competitive, even though nobody really expected them to be. Mm-hmm. I think that that would definitely, you know, make sense if they ended yeah. up sort of being that good. Yeah. I mean, the bottom half of the division is just that bad where, you know, I could easily see them get to 82, 84 wins. And then suddenly they're in that fringe for the third wild card spot, you know, like, yeah, eh, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, it didn't take long, I guess, shifting to the on-field portion now that we actually have games didn't take long for the brewers to have their first injury scare of spring training um and you know we saw in the last week as everybody reported to camp uh oh yeah i i heard this in the offseason i heard that fernando tatis jr still riding motorcycles and breaking his wrist (laughs) apparently so um that's that's not great there but uh the brewers first kind of big injury blow came on the field it was you know one of the first games of the spring where luis urias had to come out early here at his quad and and now he's sounding you know like the brewers are kind of pessimistic he's going to be available for opening day which is understandable considering the you know shortened spring training schedule and how quad injuries tend to linger so um i guess in the meantime if he's not on the field who's going to play third base for the brewers ball oh a mishmash of people is the short answer um uh Jace Peterson, uh, P- Pablo, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, they they always keep enough people that they can just cycle people through, and um, they'll just use a, a a a group of people until he comes back. So um, they'll do what they always do. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna. It's gonna be a mishmash of people. Uh, maybe somebody will take that job and firmly run with it. I think the best chance of that happening is clearly. Um, Jace Peterson, though I'm not sure how great how great is his arm over there. I guess it's it's good enough to be. It's fine. I think it's so, fine. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure myself, but I think it's fine. But I I will say I don't think anybody will take it and run with it. Um, it it seems like sort of the the backups more than the the potential you know hot streak guys this year a little bit more than normal. Um, but Jace at least has shown on base skills. That's fine. But uh, you know it's hard to see him like popping. You know, getting hot and popping 10 home runs in the first like quarter or something like that. So, well, and I think even the most, uh, you know, pessimistic projections of Urias don't have him being out much past opening day. He yeah, might not be yeah. there on opening day, but 
nobody thinks he's going to be out a full month. Like we're talking a matter of days into the season before he's probably back. So yeah, in that case, it probably makes the most sense that it could be Jace or as you brought up, Pablo, Pablo Reyes, Reyes. Who yeah. they do love. Um, Mike Brousseau yeah. also a possibility too. Yeah. Brousseau is a, is a sneaky one there. And especially if he is showing some pop, in spring training. I think the question there is going to be, does he show the chops defensively? Yeah. Want? I was actually wondering more about his arm than, uh, than Chase's. Um, I, I feel like he's always been a, a right side guy and I don't know if he can throw it over from third. I'm sure he can be fine, but um, don't, uh, I, I, I think he's probably the last in the, the rotation there. Yeah. We got a couple of, patreon questions kind of about about this injury as well but before then i guess any other injury concerns from you guys considering like the quick ramp up uh for the regular season slightly shortened spring training of course and the players didn't really have access to like those you know team activities or facilities or anything during the off season so paul do you think there's a chance we see more injuries at least early on yeah i, I would expect there to be more injuries uh, that's one of the consequences of going off schedule and playing any kind of compressed baseball people have less time to stretch stretch out and get ready and one of the problems with professional athletes is they're not good at restraining themselves if you once you put them into game action they're going to go all out and um, I assume more people will be hurt and that's especially bad for a team like the Brewers who are really relying on they're starting rotation quite a bit because that's the, that's who you worry about and it's who can really hurt you the most too uh, if a position player gets hurt it sucks but you can cobble together platoons and things like that and sort of minimize their exposure if corbin burns gets hurt that's a lot harder to deal with so um not a fan of that and yeah it's it's a worry that they have to work around yeah and it is a little interesting for those who haven't been maybe locked in so far to what's going on in spring training the pitchers the first time through are ahead of where they would normally be their first time through when they're ramping up and i assume that's because they've been working on their own they came into camp saying well this is what i've been doing this is the point i'm at and remember they've also been with the team now for a you know a full week at this point so this is not their first time throwing for the team it's their first time throwing for the public where we can see it but (laughs) still freddie peralta did throw two and two-thirds innings in his first outing and normally nobody goes more than an inning that first game so that is a little bit interesting i think Ethan small took two innings on friday so guys are definitely pitching a little bit more maybe than they normally would here uh early on but i trust the brewers implicitly to have a plan on this and to have thought this through frankly i think that they were probably spending their entire time this winter uh working on different contingency plans for this is what we're going to do if the guy says he worked out a little bit this is what we're going to do if the guy said he worked out a lot this is what we're going to do you know they, they were working on all the contingencies and when the guys came in and reported what they did then that information got fed into their plan and they said okay this is what we think you should do so i if anybody is going to have a good plan it's the brewers so not that that's going to prevent because pitchers get hurt. It's just what they do. But if anybody is going to be able to minimize that with a good plan, I think it's the Brewers. So we can at least feel kind of okay about that. All right. We do have a couple of Patreon questions related to the Urias injury, as I mentioned, and, and just kind of filling out the roster because we we still get to talk about roster stuff here. 
in the last couple of weeks of spring training. So our next question comes from Mark Podscarby asking if Urias ends up missing opening day, do you think Bryce Terang has a shot to break camp with the big league club? Or do they just roll with Reyes as the backup middle infielder to allow Terang to keep getting everyday ABs and not burn service time? Ryan, prospect guy, what do you think? Yeah, I think that he has a chance to break camp with the big league club, but it wouldn't be in an everyday role. It would be in a bench role, utility role. And uh, I actually had a discussion about this with a friend of mine over the weekend. I didn't realize, uh, according to baseball reference, he played every inning in 2021 at shortstop. And that does make sense because Terang projects as an above average defensive shortstop. So he is... It makes sense that they were playing him a lot there, but his role breaking into the big leagues is going to include playing third base and second base as well. He's not going to be an everyday shortstop, at least in the short term, uh, for the Brewers anyway, unless they were, you know, maybe to trade him. But uh, so he's going to have to get reps. And he was right away. He was the guy who came in and played behind, uh, behind Urias when he got hurt on Saturday afternoon. So, uh, I think that they will need to make that happen. And I think that uh, Terang is an interesting guy. And I think he, he gets lost in the shuffle a lot. And I was kind of shocked when Keith Law sort of seemed really confident that he would get to like 15 to 20 home run power at some point in his career. But yeah. uh, that we'll, we'll see. It's weird because he's never shown it, but. It just there's a belief in the the swing and the approach and all of that that he will eventually get there. So, uh, but for right now, I think if he does come in and uh, and break with the opening day roster, it would be in a bench role. It would be in a utility role, and he's going to have to show the chops at third and at second to be able to do that. I mean, he's going to have to be able to do that anyway, right, Paul? Because it looks like Adamus is going to have short for the time being. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to find time at short for him. But I mean, that's fine. Um, you you put you play your prospects, you know, as far up the ladder as possible, both to develop them there and you know maintain their value there, keep them uh, able to play there. But this is the Brewers, and if you're a shortstop, you pretty much have to be able to play literally every other position on the diamond too. And uh, and honestly, you should. I mean, shortstops are you know the savants among savants of baseball. That's kind of what they're for. So um, that uh, if if Terang gets a cup of coffee, it'll be at third base, and that's you know that's good for you too, and that, that's fine. All right, uh, I guess last roster question, or at least related to the hitters, Jay Google asking, who do you think fills out the bench for the Brewers if they decide to only keep thirteen hitters? Um, I know this is kind of an interesting topic, especially with the signing of Andrew McCutcheon. Ryan, you kind of seem to think, I guess, from what I gathered on Twitter, that the the bench spots are kind of all spoken for. Yeah, it's pretty close, though. I think there is still some conversation between guys who, of course, have options because this is a David Stern's operation and it wouldn't be a David Stern's operation unless a bunch of people had options. So uh, I think that you're looking at Severino as the backup catcher. I think you're looking at uh, Jace as the utility man on the left side of the infield. I think that you're looking at Kutch and Tyrone Taylor in the outfield. And then the big question is, what about that other that other of the corner infielder position? Uh, and if it's Hira, that's going to be somewhat difficult because he can't really play anywhere but first base. And 
DH. So if he's the guy there, then that pretty limits, you know, what else you can do. And uh, then the other guy would be Brousseau. But both Hira and Brousseau do have options. So if one of those guys uh, needs to be sent down, uh, it, it'll probably be a merit-based thing. The, the, they'll send the guy down who looks uh, like he's having the the inferior spring to the other one. And I think that pretty much sets it in stone. And it does look like, um, and shout out to Mark Brown. Thank you for pointing this out to me. It does look like we are finally actually getting the 13-pitcher rule this year. So teams are going to be limited to 13 pitchers and they could carry more hitters if they want, but they have to carry at least 13 hitters. So now I, I have my skepticism about this, that I think MLB early in the season is going to need to expand the rosters to deal with um, teams just not having the pitching, but we'll see what they decide to do about that. Nothing has been finalized as far as I've heard. Yeah, it's been talked about, but there's nothing finalized yet. And um, I, I suspect if I had to wager, I'm guessing that that actually won't happen, even though it would be a good safety measure, um, just because they, they just finished negotiating um, on all of this. And right. nobody wants to sneakily introduce like an extra position where people and have to figure out pay and all that stuff. So it might, but I wouldn't bet on it. Um, so yes, and Ryan's right. Um, the the option guys are the ones in question because they are the option guys, um, and it, it will probably be determined more than anything about the amount of versatility they need at any given moment. Like if if Luis Sirius is in fact out to start the season, um, Keston Hira probably will not be on the team. Simple as that. Uh, he might not be on the team anyway, but there's no way he's going to be on the team if they need. Uh, the versatility to field the left side and middle of the infield from the backups there. So, um, and honestly, I think they might keep him out anyway, make sure he's absolutely right. And, you know, he can be like a fun promotion to get some pop in the lineup midway, send him up for a cup of coffee with little pressure, you know, not that much pressure and see how things go. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I guess shifting focus to the bullpen then, too, because that's kind of where you fill out the back end of that roster as well. Jay's got a second question with the re-signing of Brad Boxberger. Do the Brewers go out and try to find another bullpen arm or a veteran starter to push a guy like Ashby or Ethan Small to the pen? Um, Kind of an interesting question here, especially, Ryan, you know, with Craig Council's statements ahead of the spring opener, which Ethan Small started. Basically saying Ethan Small is going to start games for us this year. It's just a matter of when. So I guess, do you think they start him in the pen? Or what do you think the the plan is here for the bullpen? I think Ethan Small goes back to AAA. I think it's almost a guarantee unless there's a rash of injuries. Ethan Small goes to AAA and he continues to start. I think that that is the pretty well set in stone. Ashby is much more questionable. And that's going to depend on how they want to approach the beginning of the season. And if they do decide to go with a five-man rotation to start the year, or if they decide to go with a six-man rotation to start the year, because he is the sixth man right now. I don't think you start him ahead of anybody like Hauser, Lauer, or obviously the big three. Yeah. So I think he is the sixth man at this point, and I think the Brewers will largely run a six-man rotation this season. But whether or not they choose to do that from the, the jump, I have no idea. Yeah, so I suspect not. I feel like they don't. They usually don't. They sort of ease into it. They rely on the early early season days off to make that work. Now, 
there aren't as many of those this year. That's the one thing that may throw a wrench into this. But I still think that they'll they'll start with five and ease in six once in a while. And by the end of the year, it'll look like a six-man rotation. But uh, I, I think that that's sort of the plan as they enter things. That They'll use their off days creatively to the extent they have them. And um, I, I don't think that they'll... They're, first of all, they're always looking for bullpen help. Uh, like 100% of the time, constantly, if there is anybody out there, they'll go get them. I don't think that they'll sign any just like fringy starter to move anything. There's no reason to do that. They have tons of people who can start games and uh, that uh, no reason to do that at all. So speaking of the schedule, now's a good time for a mea culpa on my part, because I was so sure last week that they were not going to do what they ended up doing, which was (laughs) to play all their home games at home. And it was announced this week that Mm -hmm. part of this was, we didn't know that the MLB was going to agree to push the season end date back by a series. So they just took that entire Arizona series, which was supposed to start the year and tacked it onto the end, which that obviously makes it a lot easier now to work out the other three games. And it will be interesting because I believe that this will be the first double header in Miller Park slash AmFam field history, though maybe they did at least be the first double header involving the Brewers. Maybe that Cleveland series, that Cleveland Ace or series, uh, Cleveland Angels series, when there was that snowstorm back in like 19, no, like in 2007 or 8, may have been a double header at one point, but. And maybe some Cubs series that got moved because of hurricanes. Maybe the Cubs Astros series, whichever series Zambrano threw the no hitter. Nope, no. that was not a doubleheader. There okay. was two games in that series. The Astros, yeah, had two hits the whole series, but they were not in the same day. But at any rate, the Brewers will not be. Uh, they will be playing a doubleheader, and that is going to be on Thursday, September eighth. And I'm all over that one. So. I will definitely be at that because I'm not going to miss that moment in uh, in Miller Park history. And that was on a mutual off day. So that took care of that completely. Yep. And the other game, it looks like it's being made up at the end of April. Yes, it's being made up. The Giants are in town just for a quick one day Monday when they had a mutual off day on Monday, April 25th. So mm-hmm. that took care of that, which is great. They're not scheduled into a bunch of double headers already. And so that part of it, I'm not as worried about that as I was. So that's nice to have in the in our back pocket. Yeah, and it'll be nice to end with a home series against Arizona uh, if it comes down to that in, you know, pennant race reasons. So uh, always good to close against a bad team. Although I think <laughs> what was it like the Dodgers or the Giants or somebody's closing with like four against Colorado or something weird. But uh, yeah, that, that'll be nice. And I guess let's talk about this quick because I brought up the Rockies. Chris Bryant to the Rockies. What the hell? <laughs> Get your money. That's it. Simple as yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird. I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I think I'm I'm with the Effectively Wild crew where it's like, it's weird, but we're not going to say it's bad because they're spending money and Chris Bryant got the money that was coming to him anyway, I guess, <laughs> if you count the Cubs manipulation. But, man, the Rockies are weird. They don't know what they're doing. And when you don't know what you're doing, Sometimes you don't know what you're doing in interesting, expensive ways. Most of the time, you don't know what you're doing in in non-interesting, boring, uh, loser baseball ways. But sometimes it's given giving a, a a good player just a whole shit ton of money. So that's what happened here. I mean, they did just give Ryan McMahon like seventy million dollars today too. So that's weird. But yeah, I mean, this was a PR move on the Rockies' part. They were trying to win back fans and. 
you can see just how out of touch Dick Monfort is with the realities of this because the way to win back fans is to have a plan to be good, to win games and to get your team into the playoffs and be an actual good team, not to give them a signing of a player who is probably going to be unhappy really quick. And I, I said on Twitter, I hate to go all meathead on this one, but like good for Chris Bryant for getting his money, but I don't want to hear a single damn word from him about like, Oh, the Rockies are a really bad organization. I'm so sick of losing. And this is terrible. I hate this. Like, no man, like, you you signed up for this shit. Like this is on you. You you had ample warning that the Rockies are a dysfunctional mess. You could have picked up the phone and talked to Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado, and they could have sang you chapter and verse of the whole thing. Like you you would have gotten all the information you needed, and the money was what mattered to him. And you know what? That's I, like Meg Rowley and effectively wild. Like you said, talked about like the guy won right away. He's never really been on a losing team, never really been on a truly bad team in his big league career. And, you know, great, like have fun with it. But I don't want to hear a word about this because that's going to suck at some point for you. And it's probably going to suck really fast because the Rockies are a big steaming pile of crap. Yep. That He'll get are. traded to the Cardinals in two years anyway, and it'll all work oh, out. Oh, God. Him. I think so. If you're Chris Bryant, so you're not me, obviously. If I was Chris Bryant, uh, I'd be like, so Denver's a great place to live. It's super fun. Lots to do. Hike in the mountains. I hear uh, the schools are great from Mike Hampton. Yeah. Uh, other than uh, other than things starting on fire, um, that's the bad thing about that area. But like, and you, now you get to just like put up massive stats if you want to. So if I'm Chris Brown, I'm going out. I'm trying to hit 60 bombs every year, and then just you know hike the off season, ride the rapids, um, hit the beer scene, and go do that. That's fine. That's a good baseball life. There are worse ways to live for yeah. sure. All right. Uh, a couple more Patreon questions before we wrap things up for this week. This one about the minors. So Nelson Cairo is asking, why are the Brewers always in the twenties for the MLB team farm system <laughs> rankings? It feels like they've been in the bottom 10 each year since about 2007. Uh, Ryan, there's some good reasons for that, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit misleading because the Brewers did have a run right around the time that David Stearns took over and into that, next year they actually topped out at number one in a mid-season is the mlb pipeline 2016 mid-season ranking um they were with other rankings everybody had them inside the top 10 a bunch of people had them inside the top five it just sort of depended on which rankings you were looking at so they did have that period where when they put their effort behind you know building up a really good farm system they did it and it has borne fruit that is the what we are living through right now is the uh, the results of that. And it's not all in ways like, yes, Corbin Burns and Josh Hader and, uh, and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta were all in the system at that point. And they've come up and they've been good. And that's fine. But they also used a lot of those guys to make trades, like the one that brought in Christian Yelich. And so they, they did it in a bunch of different ways. And it is natural. It is normal for a team that gets to uses the farm system to build up like the Brewers did for it to fall off afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, what is not so like it, it starts to get more dodgy a few years down the road where you look at it and you're like, well, in an ideal world, the Brewers would be like the Dodgers or the Rays who can both compete and keep a top farm system running. Um, but that is sort of like asking for the unicorn, right? You're asking for 
like in the Dodgers case, they do it because they spend so much money on player development. Like they pour so much money into that area of their, their club because it's one area that MLB doesn't tax them for. So they can just spend, spend, spend in that way. And with the Rays, they're just really, really smart. Yep. You know, they're just really smart and really good at it. But they're really the exceptions to the rule. Most teams, and the way that this is set up is that if you are competing, you get lower draft picks, you don't get the, the top players, and you're more likely to deal off young talent to get win-now talent. So it generally isn't normal for a team to be towards the top of the farm system rankings. And if you look right now, the Brewers aren't in terrible shape. Um, they're as high as baseball prospectus has them at 19th right now. Uh, Fangraphs has them at 21. ESPN and Baseball America had them at 25. Like, they're not a moribund franchise as far as player development, but they have some they have some foibles, to say the least. Like, they've had real trouble developing hitting. And we've talked about a lot on here and especially on the minor league extra, they have been very bad about developing hitting. And yet all their top players are hitters right now. And they have very few pitchers at the top and yet they're very good at developing pitchers. So that's a, that is a strange thing to see, but it doesn't necessarily, I don't think mean anything. James and I discussed that in our, our January episode of the minor league extra went into some detail on that, but it's weird, but it isn't necessarily indicative of massive amounts of failure, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think the main thing with the Brewers have their own system. Like the Rays are obviously super geniuses. Um, but uh, part one, the Brewers have not drafted highly in a while. And highly drafted players at the very top of the draft are your stars who make farm systems when they work out. So not having those even around at all uh, is already going to put you uh, at a disadvantage. But the other thing is, the Brewers have this nifty system where they do take what capital they do produce and they turn uncertain minor league capital into more certain, much more well-scouted with a track record, um, almost major league ready players or major league ready players who are still cost controlled. So they spend spend capital to get people on the team right now that costs your farm system. And that's, that's fundamentally why they are where they are. Um, it's not a bad thing. They have a lot of good young players on the team consistently. That's how Willie Adamas is on the team. Um, so, it, you know, those rankings only tell you so much. But, I mean, that's kind of why. And if they continue on that route for a while, I wouldn't be that surprised either because that seems to be the Stearns MO to some extent. So, uh, is what it is. You, you might see them still in the 20s for, for a while more. But uh, they're good at maximizing the sort of minor league capital they have. Yeah, and the other thing to remember about prospect rankings, these farm system rankings, a lot of people that do the farm rankings will tell you they hate them. Uh, they hate doing them. They think they're bad, that they don't truly represent what's going on in an organization. Yeah, they're trash. And, <laughs> yeah, and especially the idea that there's such snapshots in time that right now the Brewers are getting, in their farm system ranking, they are getting zero credit for having developed Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff mm -hmm. because they're not in the farm system anymore, but they, you know, they're all just players who've, who've just recently reached, uh, who've recently reached arbitration. So it, it, it is just, it, it's a, it's a very flawed way of looking at how productive a minor league system is. And there have been some pretty big exceptions over time of farm systems that were rated lowly, who ended up producing a lot of talent because 
the evaluators just didn't see it at that time. You know, they just weren't, they weren't quite on them at that time and didn't realize what they were looking at and quite the, the value of what was there. And of course you hope that's the Brewers case. You think that there's a possibility it could be. There's certainly interesting guys in the Brewers system right now, but you just have to wait and see how it all turns out in the long run. And farm systems are notoriously hard to grade. Keith Law does a thing where he goes back and reevaluates drafts 10 years after they took place. And even 10 years down the road, it still sometimes feels like you don't have a full appreciation, a full picture of what you're looking right. at yet. So mm-hmm. it, it can be a really long road for evaluating prospects. Yeah. Like barring a historic draft class, like the 2005 or 2006 or whatever draft class Ryan Braun was in. It's, it's really hard to say even, like you said, 10 years down the road, how good even a first round has been, let alone the later round. So it's... well, and that's actually a perfectly instructive thing, James, because that draft class, when it was evaluated by law, I think 10 years down the road that, and this was the 2005 draft. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that point, it looks like there might be multiple Halls of Famer, Hall of Famers out of it. Halls of Famer? <laughs> halls, halls of Famer. <laughs> now, that's the episode title. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, but those guys in, you know, Ryan Braun kind of leading the charge ended yeah. up having disappointing second halves of their careers. Yeah, too low broke down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too low broke down. Yeah. A lot of these guys just did not quite end up living up to the, the hype to the point where I don't think we're going to have any Hall of Famers out of the 2005 class, at least not for quite a while. And that would have definitely been a surprise in, say, 2011, 2012, when, yeah. you know, Ryan Braun and, and Troy Tulowitzki were slugging it out for MVPs and rookies of the year and like all the Alex Gordon was so good and um Justin Upton never quite turned into the the superstar that we thought he was going to be like it it, and yet he still had a very good career still I mean Justin Upton is still playing and is still a good player or at least reasonable (laughs) so it it can be hard to do this absolutely all right uh another uh, question from Adam Post here asking uh, I guess we're in the labor portion of the uh, podcast. I, I was able to, you know, bump it towards the end here, an hour <laughs> in or so. So uh, thank you for, for allowing us to delay this. Uh, Adam Post's question here. It would have been difficult to get team owners to agree to this in the CBA. But what if in order to prevent prolonged tanking or more specifically prevent teams from <laughs> nutting if you uh, listen to the Effectively I, Wild podcast. I chuckle every time they do it. So yes. 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 There as Meg says, there are regrets there. Uh nutting <laughs> or uh what what was the other one they've tried? Banking, I guess, is is the other term. But I yeah. think nutting is Ben fine. Ben was uh workshopping banking and then <laughs> Meg came in with nutting and Ben instantly there was no seized on that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, what we're going with. Yep. Yeah. Nobody likes a dirty joke quite like Meg Rowley. Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, in order to prevent prolonged tanking or nothing, teams were required to break their team record uh, player payroll in rolling five-year cycles. Based on league revenues, teams probably would have to s- be, should be setting new payroll records every year. So this would be a bit of a compromise. Otherwise, do you have any other ideas to better align team spending with revenue, Paul? I have lots of better ideas, <laughs> but all of them are much less likely to be agreed to. It, I mean, that's super unlikely to ever be agreed to. Um, and 
it, all it would do is launch a bunch of finance guys' careers and figuring out the cheapest way to have um, a rolling five-year maximum happen. It would, it would lead to other kinds of tanking, um, and so it would still be its own problem. Uh, I mean, the best way... Uh, allow me to be uh, a crazy libertarian person for a moment. The, the best way to solve this problem is through free market capitalism. <laughs> and uh, uh, honestly, that's that's really it. So um, other than that, they could they could actually institute a salary floor, although that has problems when you don't have a salary cap and nobody wants one of those things. Um, but I mean, you could still negotiate a salary floor. The problem with the salary cap um, and salary and, re- and like sharing like the NFL does is defining MLB revenue. But you don't need to do that to have a salary floor. You can just come up with a salary floor. So, uh, I mean, that's probably the cleanest way to do it. But you could also just... Um, you know, let players actually make what they're worth. That would be the best way to do it. Yeah, the salary floor idea is intriguing, and especially from a position of if there was an, a salary floor and you had teams like Cleveland and like, uh, you know, various teams that are running very low perils, the Pirates, the now the Reds, they're not there yet, but they'll get there. Uh, those teams would basically be encouraged to take on bad contracts that other teams regretted signing and then they would also get like prospects back at, for for doing that. Mm-hmm. So you would have like Eric Hosmer being sent to uh, to the uh, Pirates in exchange for uh, you know a nothing prospect, like a, a complete empty shirt of a prospect. But along with Eric Hosmer, uh, you could see some real talent being sent so that the uh, so that the the Padres could get out from under that contract, and then. Uh, so it does kind of open up some possibilities, right? Yeah, like it does. Absolutely. It's intriguing that way. But basically, here's the deal, Mark. Uh, owners want to be able to guarantee that they spend as little as they please when they please. And that is very important to them. They were willing to entertain the idea of a salary floor early on in negotiations because it came with a hard cap. And if they were going to get that, which was, you know, ultimately their long-term wet dream that they've wanted forever. And so they could take a Stephen Cohen and forever put uh, him out of their misery. Um, then they would do that. But otherwise there's no reason that they would, they would ever agree to that as much as we think it would be fun and it would be good for the sport in general. Um, and it would, it would be good, frankly, for, for contending teams to be able to move bad contracts and to, to be more lean with uh, what they yeah. they do and to not worry quite so much about like, you know, if I sign this guy and it turns to a crap contract, well, there aren't really mechanisms to get out of it now. There are, there would be under the system. It, it's just not going to happen because the biggest thing owners want is to be able to guarantee profits. And that's not a way to, to guarantee profits. Forcing Bob Nutting to spend, I don't know, three times what he's spending now does not make Bob Nutting as profitable as he is now. It just doesn't. And we may think that that's the way it should be, but Bob Nutting certainly doesn't, and neither do a bunch of other owners. And so the only way that would ever happen is if the union gave up such drastic concessions on the other end that it completely reshaped the entire game. Yep. And they shouldn't do that, and it, it, I think that would be bad ultimately for the sport as well. So... Owners are cognizant of this too, which is why occasionally Dick Monfort signs Chris Bryant to a giant contract, so that they can <laughs> say so that in negotiations they can say, "Hey, everybody's trying to win. 
we gave Monfort gave Chris Bryant a billion dollars, even though you know things looked bad. Blah blah blah. That that's why those happen occasionally too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that signing specifically was pretty suspicious when you consider that Dick Monfort was on the owners' negotiating committee. Certainly was uh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. All right, I do have uh, one more Patreon question to pull for this week. Yeah, uh, yeah, come, yeah. I and Paul, you know, I was gonna pull this one because I even asked you, like, is this a deal? Uh, John Matz, who was just John last week, but now he's John Matz, is one of our new patrons, is asking, uh, well, saying, "I'm still just John, but I'm back with a last name." A new question, <laughs> and I hope for more labor talk. Can you all break down the California federal court ruling deeming minor leaguers as MLB employees and what it means going forward? Thanks. So earlier this week when this came out, I I sent in our group DM, hey, Paul, this yeah. seems like a big deal, is it? And Paul, what did you say? I don't remember what I said, actually. I, I had to look at it more. It's kind of a big deal, though. So That's basically what you said. Okay. Yeah. Uh, having, <laughs> having done, you guys are going to make an actual labor lawyer out of me. I'm going to end up um, in a different field eventually. <laughs> so here, here's what I can tell you about this. Um, first of all, um, this case has been around for a very long time. It is a certified class action, and the class action nature of this has already been up to the United States Supreme Court. Um, so uh, when there's a class action lawsuit, one of the big things that you want to do as a defense attorney um, is is prove that your case isn't uh, appropriate for for a class. A class action is, hey, we got all these people, they're all kind of the same, and uh, they can't all sue because the amount in question is too small and it wouldn't happen, so we'll sue on their behalf and then give whatever little bits happen to everybody when we win. Um, the hard part is always proving that you have a class that is similarly situated. That's been negotiated, or not litigated, it's been litigated to death and minor leaguers are a class here. So th this has already been to the Supreme Court for that. Um, this was a summary judgment award uh, with the class action out of the way. Um, it, it is still appealable on other issues, but here's the gist of it. And it's at least somewhat like it'll be fought, but it's somewhat likely to stand. So um, the, the main thing, most people know this. The, the main thing here is if you're an employee, you're entitled to more it writes than if you are a contractor or a third party. Um, one of the important ones is, especially if you are an hourly employee and not a salaried employee, and there's a bunch of stuff that goes into that, is you're entitled to be paid for work performed on the clock. And uh, in the in the case of minor league baseball, that includes a lot of unpaid compensation for things like going to games and going back home from games uh, and, and things of that nature. So um, what this case basically decides is minor leaguers in a few states, California, Arizona, I think Florida, maybe I can't remember if Texas was in there, um, are in fact entitled to wages from um, the those times when they weren't on the clock uh, officially, but we're working. We're in trans. We're in company transits and doing things to prepare for games, uh, and are entitled to back pay for that and, and pay going forward for that, and um, all of the other benefits that employees enjoy. Um, potentially things like health care and stuff like that. Um, now it's not it's not as broad as it could be because of a previous decision labeling minor league players as seasonal employees um 
so that comes with a whole bunch of other crap about it and i think it may it this is speculating i might be wrong it may go back to the supreme court because i think there's some conflict between this ruling and that ruling that needs to be sorted out uh but but here's the gist um Right now, it's hard to have minor leaguers in spring training for a lot of teams without paying them way more than they did before. And so baseball teams will have to either pay their invitees a lot more money than they did before or have fewer people at spring training uh, or at minor league games in the states impacted here, California, Arizona, um, Florida, a few others. So I hope that made sense to everybody. <laughs> labor law is complicated and yeah that's it we're gonna get you a second specialization here before this is all <laughs> yeah. if you all need a union lawyer call paul don't do that do, no, that. No. do not do that <laughs> <laughs> all right uh well thanks john for Just the question really quick uh, we're at the end of the podcast i am much more frequently on management side in my actual career than on labor <laughs> side. <laughs> That's just how my, my position rolls. So, uh, but yeah, you got to know every side when you do it. Exactly. Uh, that That's what makes you well-prepared. So there you go. All right. Uh, thanks to John for that question. A reminder, you get question priority when you become a patron. John's one of our new ones. And Ryan, I think we got a couple more to shout out this week. Yeah, so I did have John Matz here as not just John anymore, but I guess he wants to still be just John, so just John it is. Um, and also, we got a, a question in right away from Nelson Cairo, who joined this week as well. Yep. So welcome to Nelson. Welcome, Nelson. And then we have, and I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that this is probably from the uh, from the RE side of things. <laughs> We have Queso y Libertad, which yes. I did I did look up. Cheese and, and Liberty. Yeah, it, it should is, be it, the motto of Wisconsin. I think it is. It's like uh live free or die is what Vermont or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's cheese so, or freedom, right? Or is it cheese and freedom? No, it's cheese and freedom. Oh, it is okay. Cheese and freedom is, or that's, cheese and liberty. That's much better. That's and. much more inclusive. Yes. Yes. Well, so we love that name. Freedom. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks all of you for for signing up to become a patron. Also, if any of you aren't um, reporting as eligible patrons, <laughs> and we call you reporting as eligible patrons, I apologize on behalf of the baseball podcast for insulting you like that. <laughs> wait, wait a second. What does that say about the? the I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the football patrons know what they are. <laughs> No, that's that's the football Discord folks. Those are real out there ones. They're the hardcore. They're the hardcore. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for for signing up. And even if you're not a patron, as always, we would appreciate it if you would support us in another way. Leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. Our reminder: Paul will literally read anything that you write in a review if you give us five stars. Nobody left anything. Thank God. Yes. I mean, I'll yeah. still do it, but geez, I need a break after last week. <laughs> the infamous pee pee poo poo uh, review there. That's that, that's great. Yes. I do want to point out, though, that I had Steve run that by his eight year old. And because uh, I, I was like, oh, yeah, you need to listen to the end of last week's episode with uh, with your son in the car. And uh, so he played it <laughs> and then watched his reaction. And he said, 
he rolled his eyes and said, okay. <laughs> so his, his eight-year-old cool is for more an, mature yeah. than eight-year-old. Eight-year-old's too cool for us. <laughs> to be honest, though, that's what I would expect one of Steve's yeah. kids to react to that. So that's that's great. That's that's amazing. All right. Uh, but yeah, five-star review. Please leave us one, and Paul will read that out here as well. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe or follow button, and you'll make sure you don't miss a single episode, especially now that we're getting into baseball season. So uh, thanks for everyone uh, listening in this week. Lots of good talk about you know free agent signings and on-field stuff. I'm excited. We got to delay the labor talk for at least an hour. So uh, <laughs> there's that. Uh, looking ahead to, to more baseball here as we get closer to opening day. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week here on the Walking Tail Game.